0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Years ago, a book came out that took uh, the evangelical circles by storm called The Jesus I Never Knew. Well, today you might rewrite that book and say that Jesus, that everybody thinks they know, but is contrary to the one that the Bible reveals. In other words, there is what you might call a woke Jesus. A Jesus who apparently was asleep for a very long period of time, for about 2,000 years, and now has suddenly awakened for our times on the near edge of the second coming, which, by the way, is largely ignored by those who follow the new woke Jesus, but there is a strange, there's a call to defend the faith from a very strange gospel that is arising in our land. In fact, it's not just arising in our land, it's arising all over the Western world. We don't. If we don't soon do something about this, our guest today says we risk there not being enough Christians left in America to properly defend the theological walls of the faith. So, This uh, woke Jesus, as our guest talks about here today, goes by many names, including the Christian left, progressive Christianity, or woke Christianity. It abandons traditional biblical interpretations regarding marriage, gender, racial, equality, justice, original sin, heaven and hell, salvation, and replaces them within a new fabricated morality. Built around political correctness, cancel culture, hedonistic values, obsession with public health, allegiance to the leftist state, universalism, and virtue signaling, and I might indicate the rebirth of the French Revolution right here in Western, uh, the Western world and in America. I have just been reading the history of the French Revolution and going into so much of what happened there and why it happened. And quite frankly, friends... If that isn't a prophetic foretelling of what we're experiencing now in the entire Western world, I don't know what is. Wokeness basically was taken over as a a given, a theological given, a cultural given by the French Revolution under the banner of enlightenment, and is the gradual evolution of thought among Christians, both the theologically trained and the laity alike. To elevate Jesus' humanity over his divinity, laying the groundwork for a widely accepted social gospel. So, our guest today says progressive Christians today uh, reduce Christ to a mere revolutionary prophet or sage. This form of Jesus will need to bow at the feet of Marx, kneel in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, and feel oppressed and alienated by his olive-colored Middle Eastern skin. This Jesus, this woke Jesus, must reject meritocracy and be sensitive to microaggressions, conscious of intersectionality, double-masked, triple vaxed, and, of course, sexually non-binary. This Jesus will need to be woke. Well, that's uh, just some excerpt from the... Introduction of our new guest book, Woke Jesus, the False Messiah Destroying Christianity. Lucas Miles joining us here on the program today. Lucas, it's so good to have you.
1: Hey, thank you for having me on.
0: These are trying times, as Thomas Paine, who was not exactly an example of uh, evangelical Christianity back in the time of the American Revolution, but he said, these are the times that try men's souls, and indeed they are, aren't they? Absolutely. All right. So, uh, you have, you're, you're a pastor, you uh, do a radio program or a podcast. Uh, you write some books. And, uh, so what is it that actually has driven you? If we could put it that way, maybe the best way would be put inspired you, uh, to write this particular book.
1: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about this. Um, as a pastor, I've, I've really seen the progression over, I started preaching at 17. Uh, I was very young when I got into ministry, and, mm-hmm. and the Lord called me. Uh, I'm, I planted a church at 24, my wife and I did, and we're still, we're still uh, leading that same church today. So it's been, uh, been about 20 years, actually, this year uh-huh. uh, that I've been pastoring the same, the same church uh, outside of South Bend, Indiana. And although we are a red state, triple-majority conservative state, uh, our our county is a Democrat um, uh, stronghold in Indiana, mm-hmm. and you know we have universities here like the University of Notre Dame. A lot of people might know the name Mayor Pete Buttigieg with our mayor, and and I've really watched um, kind of this microcosm uh, in our region uh, in this evolution of progressive Christianity. And I started warning about this back in. 2012, 2014, mm-hmm. you know, into 2016. In 2016, we lost about 50% of our church after I did a series on um, basically taking a, a, a look at the, the um, at what is, what's the theology, what does the Bible teach about major social issues today? Wow. Marriage, gender, sexuality, um, you know, looking at uh, socialism, these sort of things versus free market. And I did, a, I did a series on this. We lost about 40% of our church through that.
0: I'm not surprised. And,
1: and, and, and you know, I, I tell people all the time it was 100% worth it, and I would do it again. And I think that there's a lot of pastors that they won't tackle these topics because they're afraid that's going to happen to them. Right. And I'm somebody who lived through that, and I can tell you it's worth it because our church is stronger, uh, more prosperous, uh, doing more in the community. Reaching further than it's ever done before. And, and the, uh, uh, and I, and I really attribute that to kind of what I would call that Gideon moment in our ministry where, um, a lot of that kind of early woke culture was, was, uh, stripped away from us. And the people that were left were there because they were interested in making scripture their, their guide and Jesus Christ their Lord and and the political jargon and agenda uh, especially of the left was cut away and and it's been it's been a um i mean that was really the kind of this inspiration shortly after that i started working on my last book the christian left which uh was a was a, you know number 1 christian leadership book in the country for about 6 months in 2021 when it came out and uh, really set the stage for this so the christian left goes into more of of sort of what is happening with this rise of progressive christianity and this new book woke jesus the false messiah destroying Christianity, it really starts with, how do we get here? Yeah. And I begin with a deep dive into the history of, of wokeism in the church, starting in the 1700s, working our way forward uh, into modern times, and then mm-hmm. really, what do we do about it? And, and ultimately, who is the real Christ? If, if this woke Jesus isn't him, who are we really searching
0: for? Well, the spirit of wokeness has uh, permeated, its, uh, wound its way, uh, insidiously like a virus uh, throughout the broader christian community uh, particularly in america and then spread uh, throughout the western world uh, i believe that it is uh, foundational to uh, the emerging new world or global order and uh, we would we should not be surprised that this has come upon us we also should not be surprised that pastors and priests have uh, uh, engaged in this, uh, sometimes intentionally, otherwise uh, unintentionally, but sometimes just outright negligently or lacking courage. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll pick up on this after this coming break here, because George Barna came out with a poll about, uh, I'd say about three or four years ago, uh, with pastors concerning what they were teaching and preaching. I think uh, it'll build on what you have just said. We'll be right back after this, friends. Stay tuned. The Woke Jesus. Are we reimagining church, reimagining Jesus? It's interesting, going back to Time magazine, April 5th, 1993, you'll recall that uh, the, the cover story uh, featured a cross. On the front cover was a cross. In the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God. Now, was not talking about the generation that was going to forget God. It was talking about the generation that already had forgotten God, and that was in 1993, when the very same year God had moved upon my heart to leave the practice of law at the height of my career to launch this ministry, Save America Ministries, rebuilding the foundations of faith and freedom as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. The cover story uh, with the cross there was amplified in its, uh, as you open the magazine, it was a double-page spread called the Church Search, because Americans were flooding back to uh, church after Gulf War I. They were afraid, and uh, Time Magazine made the observation that church would never again be the same. And the reason, they said, was because Americans are looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image So actually, what has been happening, even Time Magazine is a secular uh, observer, Business Magazine, well, at least Secular News Magazine, uh, observed that the Christian faith, as it had once been understood and known in this country, was being abandoned in favor of a reconstructed faith requiring a reconstructed Jesus, a reconstructed God, so that he would no longer be deity, but we would become deity. In other words, we would eventually become God. Now, that's our problem, going back uh, to the very beginning, but how has this been fostered and fomented within the broader uh, Christian church? Well, George Barna did a study, a poll, a while back among evangelical pastors. And he wanted to know, uh, concerning some of the various issues that are troubling our culture today, uh, how many of them believed what the Bible actually taught about those issues, whether it had to do with homosexuality, uh, same-sex marriage, abortion, all of those uh, different kinds of, of issues. And 80% of the pastors said they believed what the Bible said about those things that uh, was totally contrary to what was being accepted in the culture. But then he asked another question. He said, now, how many of you are actually teaching or preaching on those issues? In other words, you're opening those things up like our guest today did in his congregation. Now, only 20% of them said that they were doing that. So what about the 60%? What about the 60% of pastors who said they believed in what the Bible said about it, but they weren't willing, did not have sufficient courage to address their congregations, the people sitting in their uh, churches that were looking to them to be the truth bearer? What about them? Is it possible that Charles Finney, the great evangelist of the uh, 1800s, was right when he said, if you've got a, a real problem in the Congress, if you've got a real problem in your government, you need to look at the pulpit. That's where the problem is. What do you think about that? My special guest, uh, Lucas Miles, with Woke Jesus, what do you think about that statement?
1: You know, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Look, the, the reality is, is that politics, culture, all of these things flow downstream really from faith. Our worldview, what we think about God, what we think about our identity, what we think about the nature of humanity um, in in really light of our Creator, shapes everything else in our worldview, and and it decides whether or not we're going to submit to the Lordship of Christ or mm-hmm. whether or not we're going to elevate ourselves, you know, as, as deities. And and I think that the, the reality is, is that, you know, what I say in the book, Woke Jesus, is that the left... They, re- I think, they've realized that they, you know, if, if they didn't divide the church, they would never uh, win another election in history. And they went from being the godless party. And I mean, if, if people remember the Democratic Party, they they made a big stance, removed God from the party platform, and right. and, and and they addressed this very strongly years ago.
0: Yeah, that well, that and, was during and the of- uh, as Obama was uh, yeah. campaigning.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And that was a big factor. It got a lot of attention, but it didn't play very well. And I think they recognized through that, and I think they recognized, especially after losing in 2016, that they needed to recapture the religious vote. And so they have spent a lot of money, put a lot of effort, a lot of time and energy into dividing uh, theology, dividing churches. And we've seen that with denominations that are splitting, like United Methodists, other denominations that are under attack, like Southern Baptists. Uh, um, uh, convention. And, and this is, it's really at a point now where I think the left has found a church that um, will kind of do their, their, you know, carry out their agenda, do their bidding. And they found that in the leftist church, in the Christian left. And the Christian left has shown that they're willing to take on the agenda of the state. Uh, there's no difference between what the Christian left teaches and what this woke Jesus is proclaiming uh, than, than what uh, we see from the current administration about family marriage sexuality all well that's right
0: all right well here's here's a concern that I have you speak about the Christian left as if uh, all of this was uh, the the uh, Democrat party for instance uh, went to the Christian left to get this kind of affirmation here's my concern how did the so-called Christian left become the Christian left you see great question that that to me is more important.
1: So when we look at this, ultimately, you know, we have to go back quite a way. I start in the book in the uh, in the post-Enlightenment period. You referenced the French Revolution. Right. certainly plays a major role in that. Um, and what we see is that there was a time in history where logic, reason, these were kind of elevated as the highest ideals and, and it, the, for what men, you know, were trying to, try and to uh, ascribe to and obtain to. And so basically there was a problem. The Church had an issue. That with a, with a culture that elevated logic and reason over everything else, and the church is trying to present a book filled with miracles, and so well, it was very similar to the time that we just went through, actually, with the rise of the postmodern movement mm-hmm. and the birth of the speaker sensitive church. Right. So what the church began to do in this post enlightenment time period was to try to, in in order to answer society's concern about why are why are we worshiping. You know, in following this book with all these fables and these myths in here, because they didn't believe in the miraculous elements of Christ, is a lot of theologians, specifically in Germany, was sort of a hotbed for this, they began writing these extra-biblical accounts of Jesus' life, most Mm -hmm. of them were just fabricated and fictitious, about all these things that they imagined that Jesus did. And they started filling in gaps for people. Well, he didn't really walk on water; he just sort of walked on a raft.
0: All right. So what cycle. what they were doing was reimagining Jesus.
1: One hundred percent. Yeah. And, and reimagining it was, it
0: was, Jesus from man's viewpoint.
1: Yes, and, and so this began. You know, they started kind of almost comical. Not not a lot of people took them super seriously at first. But as these iterations came, you know, became more and more uh, sort of academic in their approach. And we had this eventually the birth of Marxism. And that began, you know, working its way over into the Church. And so one of the first places that it really, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, um, took up residency was in the Catholic Church through a priest named Gutierrez uh, mm-hmm. in the 1950s in the birth of what is known as liberation theology. Right. Our current pope is a liberation theologian. Uh, we also then saw that jump over to America in, in about that same time period in the form of black liberation theology with James Cone. So mm-hmm. I traced this throughout the book and kind of the history of how this comes about. right? And so basically, it, it's what I call these theological hitchhikers, or these modifiers uh, of Marxism and critical theory began to attach themselves to the Christian faith and sort of amalgamated a, a version of Christianity that wasn't really rooted in Scripture anymore, but it used the language, it hijacked the language and the framework of the gospel mm-hmm. while throwing out all the elements of the miraculous or or any sort of the lordship of Jesus, heaven, hell, repentance. These things were left by the wayside, and what it produced was this, what I call a woke Jesus. He was the great social organizer yeah. rather than the savior of the world.
0: All right. I want to read uh, an excerpt from your book that I've highlighted here. Uh, that, this is what I do, by the way, in preparing. As a good trial lawyer, former trial lawyer, Lucas, uh, I try to come prepared and uh, prepared to discuss this from the heart. And here's what you've said. The term woke Christians describes believers who subscribe, whether knowingly or unknowingly, to the alternative gospels of critical theory, including critical race theory and its pseudo-Christian counterpart, liberation theology. Like all heresy, Woke Christianity is rooted in an element of truth, but it encapsulates this so-called truth with a convincing web of anti-biblical ideology and extremism. As such, Scripture is either downgraded, stripped of its authority, or frequently ignored as personal experience like suffering or uh, oppression and personal enlightenment take center stage in crafting woke theology. Now, it's it's a very good, simple statement that reiterates what you've been saying. And uh, I want to take you back about 20 years, I believe. And uh, there was a group that was uh, meeting together uh, with the Pope at that time. It wasn't uh, Pope Francis, as I recall. It was previous Pope. And uh, these were leaders from The uh, charismatic or word faith movement, they were leaders from uh, the uh, Fuller Seminary, and some very strong, identifiable evangelical sources. They were coming together for the purpose of unifying the church. And one of those from Fuller Seminary that I've recited in one of my books said, Anymore, we're not going to focus on things like homosexuality. We're not going to focus on things like abortion or any of those things. No, we're not going to focus on issues of truth. We're going to focus on issues of experience. That was also picked up by the Pope and by several other leaders, and that became the defining, uh, shall we say, direction Uh, for thinking within the evangelical church. If we're going to win the world, then we've got to become more like them, and we've got to go from the authority of our experience rather than the authority of the Word of God. What say you?
1: So this is really what we're seeing is a what I call the reverse Tower of Babel. Exactly, exactly. We're seeing this great sort of, you know, uh, um, God divides the languages, separates the people. Why? Because they were they were really i mean the tower of babel is a story of rebellion against god it's it's basically a leader nimrod uh, that that was you know organizing the building of this tower to ensure that that if god ever flooded the earth again you know people would be safe and they didn't believe god's promise that he made to noah that he would never flood the earth what we're seeing now is this reassembly of this tower it is it is bringing everybody back together with this one language one global mindset uh, but essentially what it's being built on is something that's not the gospel.
0: That's There true. will come
1: a day where, where, you know, every, every, uh, knee will bow and every tongue will confess and, and the whole earth will proclaim the lordship of Jesus, those, those who have put their trust in him and there will be unity for all eternity, uh, through, through the church, the body of believers. But what the Bible does not teach is that we are to, you know, have this sort of, uh, um, uh, pluralistic society where we all, you know, sort of embrace a universalist message that that that's kind of this this watered down form of all roads lead to God. Uh, this is this is what we're seeing though. And so yeah. um, the the interesting thing about this, I think, is that you know it's really being used to silence the Christian because essentially what we're being told is that abortion is politics, that marriage is politics, that gender and sexuality, that's a political issue. And Christians, you're not supposed to talk about political issues. Right. So you have to be quiet about those things unless you agree with the agenda, and then they want you, of course, to be talking about it in order to promote it further. But all of this is trying to draw people away from the true gospel, away from the true Christ, deeper into kind of this heretical framework. And and I think it's it's been very effective, but I'm an optimist, and I'll tell you God wins in the end, and I really believe that the Church is waking up to this, and that people are starting to wake up to the dangers of wokeism, and so really wrote this book, Woke Jesus, to help hopefully you know fill in some of those gaps so people could understand mm-hmm. what's happening here and really equip them to be able to combat. Well, you've this done a challenge. great
0: job of it. It's a twenty-five dollar book, friends, and we're going to make it available to you for twenty-two dollars. It's a hardbound book, and uh, Woke Jesus, the false messiah destroying Christianity, uh, something that every Christian needs to know. Your pastor needs to know, not only needs to know. That needs to know viscerally, in other words, to the point where he does something about it, with his own congregation, and takes the risk to teach and and uh, talk about it. So, I want to get you a copy of this. Go to our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Woke Jesus, you can call us 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. We'll be right back with this. Stay tuned.
2: There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the Marriage section, God has marriage on His mind.
0: speaking of listening to the program, friends, just uh, a month or so ago, I received report from just one major podcast site that airs our program, and during that month, they told me that our program was actually heard, not available, actually listened to in 179 countries. Now, it might just be 179 people, but it was 179 countries, which means the message is getting out there, and that's why you need to come on board and become a partner, really. You'll help us to broaden that reach, and I hope that you'll do that. Going to our website, saveus.org, making your generous contribution. That way or giving us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or writing to us. I believe that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to some folk uh, for quite some time that they need to get on board and become a partner with us uh, in this uh, major mission across the world, and particularly in the United States of America, to rebuild the foundations of faith and freedom to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Now, today with our special guest, uh, Lucas Miles, and his book, Woke Jesus, we're talking about some very specific areas uh we we are gradually understanding the meaning of wokeness actually it's supposed to be some sort of an awakening but it's it's sort of like a, you might say a reawakening to the redefining of who Jesus is and the implications for that so that it's all about Jesus becoming a revolutionary and Jesus becoming a a social figure as opposed to the savior of the world there's no need for sin and salvation in this new wokeness because the reality is for instance with the uh, critical race theory the whole concept is that if you are not uh black or brown you are by definition a racist you can never shed your racism you're always racist and therefore there's no hope for your salvation from being a racist in other words, you're, perf- you're permanently doomed to being a racist. There's no hope for you. Therefore, as many are now saying, you must be eradicated from the earth because you are a contaminant that is preventing world peace. Now, I hate to put it so bluntly, but uh, unfortunately, those are the practical ramifications of what we're talking about. So here's the question. Lucas, how can this kind of thing... The critical theory and liberation theology that is creating nothing but division, how can it have gained dominion in the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, that voted in a woke president in 2021? How can you explain that?
1: Yeah, I, I watched that pretty closely. I, I addressed that a bit in the book. I, I think that um, this has been going it's important to realize that this has been going on for a long time. And, and that it's been building up momentum. It's kind of like, uh, making a snowball and rolling it downhill. And eventually, mm-hmm. you know, you got a this giant, uh, this giant, you know, kind of, you know, snowball coming at you. And, and I think that, um, you know, it's important that people understand that, that this started in many ways in the academic institutions as right. far as the, the real direct infiltration within the church.
0: Well, I they began to disrupt- see this happening. I practiced law there in uh, Pasadena, California. And spoke once a month uh, at the uh, uh, a special club there where Christian businessmen gathered together. That was just almost adjoining Fuller Seminary. That become
1: increasingly woke. Yeah, and it, so so what happened is that these these uh, leftist organizations, institutions, activists, they began really working hard to insert people into Christian universities. And I trace some of the dark money in the book that 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 uh, document kind of how that happened at some specific universities. But, you know, mm. I mean, as everybody knows, Yale, Harvard, those started off as Christian institutions back right. when they for, first began to raise up clergy. Well, they, they eventually drifted, of course, from their mission uh, to where it's almost not even recognizable today, their original purpose. And then we had this second tier of Christian schools that developed, the Biolas, the, uh, the Wheaton Universities, these sort of institutions that, that now are really in the fight of their life as they have begun to drift uh, more and more towards progressive ideology. And if you start looking at who's on boards uh, about where donations are coming from, you start to understand how they got there. And so leftist Bible colleges are shaping leftist uh, pastors, which are then going into churches and, and creating leftist or, or kind of woke progressive parishioners. And it's just working its way through the pew. And so, uh, and, and, and really with the seeker-sensitive movement, It was a perfect time to do that, um, because, you know, this is kind of the sinister nature of this plan, Mm. is the the seeker-sensitive movement did a great job in making converts, but it did a very poor job in making disciples. And so you had a whole generation of people that they, they believed in Jesus, but they didn't have enough teaching of the Word of God in them to really be able to discern fact from fiction. And so when this began, when critical theory worked its way really through the church at this level and exploded on the scene within modern Christianity, it became very easy to kind of, you know, worm their way in and win people over because yeah. they were saying the name Jesus, but actually teaching a different Christ. All
0: right. So what you're saying is, to, to use terms that the Bible actually uses, uh, the people were seduced. They were seduced into a false gospel in order to build churches to the uh, glory of their founders, and uh, so you got pride involved. Uh, you had to. It, it now became if you were any of any value in the broader evangelical or word faith or, or charismatic community, uh, you had to boast of how many people were in your congregation, what your budgets were, how big your con- your, your buildings were. And that became the uh, sign quo non, so to speak, of uh, that generation uh, in the 1990s. But it began in the early 1970s with the church growth movement right there in Pasadena, California. I watched it happen.
1: I I don't don't think that necessarily, you know, I I think that the intentions of a lot of those people were good. But it created opportunities for this thing to keep going further. It's like making a photocopy of a photocopy.
0: Well, good intentions, good intentions lead to hell. They just do. Good intentions are not good enough. They have to be intentions that are directly supportive of the word of God. And here's the problem. Jesus said, I'll build my church. You make disciples. We didn't like making disciples because you couldn't number them. You couldn't measure that. That didn't sell. It didn't market well. So we decided to build churches. And we didn't make disciples as you have said, and now we're neither. Uh, Jesus said, "Be ye holy, for I am holy." And now we're neither happy nor holy.
1: Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of a lot of truth to that. And you know, the important thing is that we figure out now what to do about this, and and we right. really add, we begin to pivot our way through this. So-
0: All right. So how do we do that? Uh, just in the last month or so, uh, within the Texas alone. The United Methodist Church lost 180 congregations that had decided to split off from the United Methodist Church. That's happening everywhere. The Presbyterian Church has divided two or three times already. The uh, Baptist churches have divided off almost uh, indefinitely now and continuing to divide off. So it's it's like divide, 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 and conquer. Where does it end?
1: I think it's important that people realize that wokeism has infected every denomination. There's not a denomination that is exempt from this, from, from we could talk about, from Catholicism all the way to Baptists, Charismatics. Uh, everybody's been affected by this at exactly. some level. And and so where it starts is you have to, on a personal level, begin to evaluate, is the church that you're attending, is it teaching the gospel, and or have they succumbed to wokeness?
0: All right, That's but here, hold, hold on, hold on, here's the problem with that invariably, a listener will say, well, my pastor teaches the gospel. My pastor teaches the word. The problem with that is what of the word doesn't he teach? You see, it's one thing to say my pastor teaches the word, but is he teaching the whole counsel of God or is he leaving things out to please the people?
1: I think you have to look at how they've responded at certain times in in uh, you know kind of even the news cycle to some extent. Did your church celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade? You know, last summer, if that wasn't talked about, if that wasn't mentioned, that tells you something. Are you hearing language about about you know that's focused and drilled down on race and privilege and and intersectionality and and microaggressions? Because that's a good sign that you're in a woke church. And look at who your pastor's reading. Are they uplifting names like Andy Stanley and Beth Moore who have, you know, drifted away from uh, a really, I believe, an orthodox position of the gospel? You know, or, or are they, they they elevating, you know, solid, you know, uh, conservative Bible teachers and thinkers and theologians? And yeah. I think that you know, we have to look at this. But don't be afraid to sit down with an elder or with a pastor and say, where do you stand on these issues? And go down the list of the issues that are important to you regarding marriage family, sexuality, the authority of Scripture, all of these things, and ask them where they stand. And if they don't align themselves with a biblical worldview, which only about 24% of, of uh, Christians in attending church every week today in America align themselves today with the biblical worldview, so that number is dwindling. If they don't align themselves, you need to vote with your dollars and your attendance, and you need to go find a church that is really going to support that. We've actually launched something called the America, it's, it's American Pastor Project dot O-R-G, American Pastor and ask your pastor if they have signed the statement there yet, which is a statement of biblical orthodoxy and a commitment to eradicate wokeism from the American pulpit. If they're not willing to sign that statement or they haven't signed it already, there's a good chance you might be in a woke church.
0: <laughs> there's a good chance you're in one anyway. Uh, whether or not they sign it. And uh, the reason for that is everybody wants to be identified with what seems to be needful at the moment. The problem is they don't have the courage to actually do anything about it. It's one thing to sign a statement. It's another thing to be a doer of the word. And that's what concerns me. And I think that's, unfortunately, what's happened in our country It's happening all over the world, and increasingly, uh, whether you want to call it a divide-and-conquer mentality, uh, you continually refer to the left. I very seldom use that terminology, by the way, uh, because that itself is a more dividing. Let's talk about the real issues, not left or right, but let's talk about the real issues. For instance, is the problem our worldview, or is it our god view? I think our problem is not so much our worldview, it's our God view. Our God view is determining our worldview, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. Now, I agree. I think that, uh, that that sort of progressive ideology, that progressive theology that's really leading people away from the truth, we have to expose that, and yeah. unless we deal with that head on, it's never going to be.
0: Included. All right. We'll be right back, friends. Stay tuned. Have you ever
2: considered what the early church was like? incredible but the same can be found right now go to save us.org and click sell church we can revive first century christianity for the 21st century it's about people not programs it's about a body not a building that's save us.org click sell church
0: again i welcome you back to viewpoint friends i want to urge you to get a copy of um lucas miles book woke jesus it's a hardbound book uh, the false messiah destroying christianity indeed it is it's like a virus if you think uh uh the covid was a serious virus this is even more deadly it's a spiritual virus that is uh literally destroying uh, professing christians and the church of america and around the world and uh the, the end of it is uh, is destruction. Uh, it's written about in the book of Revelation. It's written about uh, by the Apostle Paul, uh, Jesus himself, and uh, we, we need to take these things very seriously. So get a copy of the book. It's a $26 book, yours for $22, on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Uh, Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. PO Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, uh, there are two things that I want to, or actually there are three things that I want to bring up here in this final 10 minutes or so, Lucas. Uh, One is you have mentioned the term Uh, The Lordship of Jesus Christ. Here's what I have discovered. I hear over and over again, and we've been on the air now for 28 years, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home, 28 years, and I hear it over and over and over again, a mocking coming from evangelical leaders, something like this, ah, that Lordship salvation stuff, ah, that Lordship salvation stuff, No, we're saved by grace through faith. We don't need to, Jesus doesn't need to be Lord. He just needs to, we just need to acknowledge him as the Savior and uh, confess him, and that's it. Lordship salvation. Isn't that part of our problem? We've rejected Jesus as Lord.
1: I mean, I I think we've rejected You know, Jesus' identity, period.
0: Yeah, you're right. We've rejected him as Savior because we don't want to confess our sin. And therein lies the reason why we have replaced the word mercy with the word grace. Have you noticed that? Ever since the book was written, The Grace Awakening, no more talk about mercy. Why? Because we don't want to believe we're guilty. You only need mercy if you're guilty. Grace is God's enabling power to enable us to do his will. We need mercy if we're going to be saved, don't we?
1: You know, I was talking to a clinical psychologist the other day, and they were debating me over this issue of progressive Christianity and, and, and in regards to, you know, gender and sexuality and a lot of these topics that are surfacing today. And, and they said to me, they said, look, you're not qualified to speak about this issue because you're not a clinical psychologist, you're not a biologist, (laughs) you're not a medical doctor. And then, but here's what they did, then they went on to tell me what Christ taught. They went on to define Christianity for me, Mm -hmm. they went on to exegete the New Testament to me. And I thought, it's interesting. And this is, it was a perfect picture of what's happening here, because the, the, the progressive mindset is that Unless you agree with them, then you're not qualified to speak on an issue. Mm -hmm. But they, without any qualifications, she wasn't a pastor, she wasn't a Bible scholar, she wasn't you know, an authority at all on the New Testament, but yet she was very comfortable unpacking what she believed that it meant, which boiled down to just love everybody and it doesn't really matter anything else. In other words,
0: feelings have become Lord and faith has taken short shrift. 100%.
1: Hundred percent, and and the amazing thing is that when you really come face to face, one of my favorite chapters in my book, Woke Jesus, is the, chapter, the second to last chapter. It's called the Quest for the Biblical Christ, mm-hmm. and you know we've seen this quest for what's known as the historical Jesus or the progressive Jesus or the woke Jesus, but when you actually come face to face with the Biblical Christ, it's it's th- th- his love his compassion his truth his uh, his strength his, his might his I mean all these attributes that you see come alive it's it's mind-blowing and honestly it's what we are all looking for and and there's a stereotype of Jesus by you know that, that the world has about conservative Christians that's so far off of who he is and I'm sure that part of that is to blame on the church we've done a poor job at times of really, you know, demonstrating the love of God in these things. We can, we can take some self-criticism on that. But ultimately, when you see the biblical Christ revealed, he is the answer for every single problem the world has, for every single issue of injustice. And if we could only push into him, I believe that things will start to change.
0: Well, that is uh, absolutely true. That's the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, and it's the only hope for the world. On the other hand... Uh, both Jesus and the apostles made clear that there's only going to be a small remnant, relatively speaking. So it's going to be divide off, divide off, divide off, divide off. Many are called, few are chosen, and uh, that's, that is the history of, uh, of the faith. That is how things are going to happen uh, I, if I believed that uh, we shouldn't do anything, that I would not have spent the last 28 years pleading an ultimate cause on this radio program. Uh, on the other hand, there's a spiritual reality that we have to face, and that's the biblical reality, as uh, there's a reason why Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. All right. Now, <clears throat> you talk about uh, a godly lawyer by the name of John Winthrop. One of my favorites, he came over from not-so-jolly old England in 1630 and brought with him four boatloads of Puritans. And before they landed, because they had drifted off course from the Virginia charter, they had to have their own, just like the pilgrims before them. And so John Winthrop, before he landed, penned what is called a model of Christian charity. It's uh, fairly lengthy. And it sets forth what some historians have said is the clearest expression of the American vision ever penned. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's about our calling. It's about the foundation for why this nation was formed, why the people came here. You see, we've been missing a lot of that, the why. It's not about facts of history that we need to know. It's why. Why, why, why? Well, John Winthrop made it very plain. And by the way, I want to make uh, my own book, Renewing the Soul of America, available to you if you do not have it. The appendix of that book contains this entire uh, model of Christian charity, and here are some excerpts from it. He said, we are a company, professing ourselves fellow members of Christ. We ought to account ourselves knitted together by this bond of love and live in the exercise of it. We must love one another with a pure heart and fervently. We must bear one another's burdens. We must look not on our own things, but also on the things of our brethren. We must think that the Lord, we must not think that the Lord will bear with our failings. Thus stands the case between God and us. We're entered into a covenant with Him for this work, and we've taken out a commission, but if we neglect to observe these articles and dissembling or playing games with our God shall embrace this present world and prosecute our carnal intentions, seeking great things for ourselves and our posterity. The Lord will surely break out in wrath against us and be revenged of such a perjured people, and he will make us to know the price of the breach of such covenant. So the only way, he said, to avoid this shipwreck and to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. For this end... We must be knit together in this work as one man. We must hold each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to rid ourselves of our excesses to supply others their necessities. And then he says, he goes on and talks, but if we deal falsely with our God in this work, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world. We shall open the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God and all believers in God, and we shall shame the faces of many of God's worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us till we are forced out of the new land where we are going. Beloved, there is now set before us life and good, death and evil, in that we are commanded this day to love the Lord our God, to love one another, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his laws and the articles of our covenant with him, Therefore, let us choose life that we and our seed may live by obeying his voice and cleaving to him, for he is our life and our prosperity. What a powerful statement. I've just read some small excerpts from that model of Christian charity. No wonder some historians have said it's the uh, greatest example and expression of the American vision ever penned. What do you think?
1: I I think that it wouldn't have mattered where those those Puritans would have landed. It wouldn't have mattered if it was, you know, Afghanistan, if it was the, the west coast of Africa. No matter where they landed, they were determined to give themselves over to following Christ. And, the Christ they, of the
0: Bible, not the one that they
1: reimagined. Yes, absolutely. And they were guided by that. You know, the 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 um, the, the, <laughs> the media and and progressives—they're going to look at that and they're going to say, "Well, that sounds like Christian nationalism." And I would say, no, it's not. It's called Christianity. And what Christianity does is it causes your, your life to be a witness to the Father. It causes your life to be a witness for Christ. And so much so that you do affect the world that you live in. You affect the nation that you're in. The nation that you're in should be better because of your Christian witness. That's not nationalism. That's called Christianity. What nationalism is, is when you bow down to the agenda of the state and you make it God. And what we are seeing right now is the progressive church, the woke church, mm-hmm. has bowed down to the agenda of the state. And one of the points I make in this book, Woke Jesus, is that the the church, uh, the Christian left or the progressive church, the woke church, they are ultimately acting as the true, quote-unquote, Christian nationalists who have abandoned the gospel in favor of bowing down to the state rather than just living out their Christian faith and allowing that to affect the world around
0: them. You know, Lucas, every day, right here on this program, we say viewpoint determines destiny. And what you have just said uh, is an expression of that using different words. Viewpoint determines destiny. And there are no neutral viewpoints. There are no neutral viewpoints concerning Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But did you know, my friends that among so-called Christian young people today, only 20% of so-called Christian young people believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. In other words, they have reimagined Jesus. They're woke. They are absolutely woke, and they don't even believe the most fundamental element of what it means to be a Christian. That's the problem that we have. That's the problem that we have. And when we have Generation Z that is now said by sociologists to be the most godless, anti-Christian, anti-religious generation ever in American history, and also the largest generation, you can see the problem. So what do we do? Lucas, it seems to me, that our fight is not so much just against something. Our fight is to be living examples of faithfulness, of truth, of righteousness wherever we go. That we do not compromise, we don't capitulate, but we also love in the name of Christ. We got to be doers every, of the word, don't we?
1: You know, when we when we look at, at scripture and we look at throughout church history, every single major error or heresy comes out of at a basic level elevating Either grace or truth over one another.
0: The Isn't Bible that tells us interesting? That the
1: law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. When you elevate grace or a concept of grace over truth, you become a progressive. You know, you're driven exactly. by that emotional side, that empathy side over truth. Yep. If you elevate truth over God's love, mercy, and grace, you become a bigot. We <laughs> have to put those things in our hand fully. We have to embrace them both. And you, this is one the simplest way how you can tell if where you're at is teaching the gospel or not. Do they talk about grace and truth? Mm-hmm. And not your truth, not my truth, but the truth of the word, a fixed thing that is based upon the, the, um, uh, the holiness of God. Do they reference that and do they also reveal the love of God? It has to have both in there in exactly. order to not be a false gospel. Very
0: well spoken. Thank you, Lucas, for so much for joining us here on the program today. You're a blessing, my friend. Appreciate the labors that you put forth in uh, bringing forth this book and uh, communicating it to uh, not only our listeners but around the country. Friends, again get a copy of the book it's a 26 dollars hardbound book yours for 22 dollars on the website save us.org your pastor needs to have this you need to have it all sunday school teachers need to have it if you're in a sunday school class which by the way is, those are waning as well thanks for joining us become a partner friend send your gifts by faith to save america ministries po box 70879 richmond virginia virginia 23255 go to the website save us.org Thanks for being with us. You know, Jesus is a with you Messiah. The disciples were with you. Let's be with people in the name of Jesus. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.